All right. Good morning, everybody. I, I love it. Sharing, talking, laughing. That's, that's what we're here for today, isn't this morning? It's to celebrate, <laughs> to be together, right? Ah, oh, it's so good. A uh, few announcements for us this morning. Uh, after uh, our time here this morning, and we have a fellowship meal. It's being prepared by the... Uh, uh, Jeff and Ashley McDonald, uh, so that'll be wonderful, so stick around, eat some food. Uh, we can continue all that good uh, community we were just seeing a moment ago. Uh, on Wednesday, February the 7th, uh, at 9 o'clock, we have Touchpoint with Pastor Steve and Joyce. The title is Feed Your Spirit, uh, and you can catch that online on Wednesday, 9 a.m. At 6 p.m., as we do every Wednesday, we have Amplify Youth Group. Uh, and also kids' activities. Uh, it says here at the bottom that, we, uh, that the new volunteer schedule for March, April, and May is all ready to go. So check your box uh, after the service if you have been contacted. If you have any questions or would like to volunteer, uh, please contact Joy or Carson or Zach, who I believe has another announcement for us. Yes? So I feel like Abby kind of stole my thunder a little bit. Cause <laughs> <laughs> so over the weekend, like Abby said, we um, had an event going on, going on called 30 Hour Famine. Um, we had about 23 different kids participate with about four to five leaders. Um, believe it or not, we did get sleep. We stayed here at the church and slept. I think I got a solid six hours. Um, some people didn't get as much. Um, some teenagers make a lot of funny noises in their sleep. That was interesting. But I had a sound maker on my phone that I put right by my head. So I did pretty good. But um, our goal was to raise $2,500, and we hit 2745 So we're super excited about that. Um, and I just want to plug in for you guys. Um, this church is probably the most giving church I think I've ever been a part of. And this wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for you guys' to support. Um, two years ago, they did this, and they were only able to raise about 1500 So we, we did really well. So thank you so much, and God bless. Uh, and as always, uh, you can look online to see these, uh, any church services and things like that. Everything's online on our website. Uh, we don't pass a plate around here for offering on Sundays. We have uh, boxes uh, in the back. Uh, and I had just a quick thought uh, in terms of thinking about giving. And I think that what uh, Zach was sharing, I think is a, is a wonderful example of just uh, the spirit here, I know, is, is one of generosity, of one of knowing that God is taking care of us at every moment, isn't it? Uh, and I think that's, that's a wonderful example of trust and a wonderful example of us here really uh, embodying some of the things me and my wife have been speaking about the last couple of weeks and we'll speak about a little more today. Uh, it's just the spirit of Jesus is, is so good and is so loving and he, and he really wants us to be in that place of trusting him, believing that tomorrow is just as much taken care of as it is today, that he's with us, right? Um, so I'm just going to pray over our, our offering this morning, uh, and then we'll, we'll get to it here. Jesus, we just celebrate you this morning. We thank you for that, that spirit 
of uh, release, <laughs> that spirit of taking off the burdens of this world, that spirit uh, that is you, Jesus. It's not from us. It's not just our giving nature, uh, but it's, it's you. It's a, it's a miracle that works in our hearts and releases us from all the things that we feel that we need to clutch onto. You say, I have it. I am in control. I am bigger than all the things that you uh, could be afraid of in this world. I, I created this world. I am the king, and you are my representatives here, and you have authority in this world. So, Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives and doing with our giving. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. And as I always do, I'll just piggyback off of that prayer and just ask the Lord just to speak through us as we sing about the heart of worship today. Lord, I just pray that our words would sink into the hearts of people today and they would be able to know that it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't... Um, been here the last couple weeks. We do have the messages online, but just give a very quick recap. We've been going through Matthew 6 and 7 and really been talking about this idea. Peter mentioned redefining ritual into relationship and how often what Jesus is speaking to the people here is about all of these outward acts, all of these um, good things that they were doing that had become empty, had become void of the actual relationship and connection to him. And so he's trying to flip, flip everything, the upside down kingdom, if you will, trying to flip it around and say, no, it's, it's about the heart. It's about connection. It's about relationship. And so that's what we've been going through, and in that, he wants to shift our perspective. We talked about the eye being the lamp of the body, and that meaning that how we see things, our perspective, is how we're able to experience this life here on earth. And um, that led us into how we see other people. We talked about the plank in the eye, you probably remember that and how it's about perspective. If we have a wrong perspective or something, things that we see about people or the filter we see people through um, that isn't lined up with how Jesus sees, then we're not going to be able to see clearly to actually be able to help. Um, we talked about this idea of giving and not taking, seeing people in a perspective of giving to each other and what, what do they give, what, what gold do they have within them and what can we give to them instead of what are they taking from me and what can I take from them. Um, so I know I'm like zipping through some of these points, but um, just to give us a quick recap, and we ended last week talking about that asking and that seeking and that knocking, how that becomes that answer to removing that plank and how really um, 
The Lord gives us good gifts, doesn't he? He gives us what's appropriate, what we need for our, the time and season to be able to bless others. And so from that point, we'll pick up where we left off, um, starting in chapter 7, verse 13. You'd like to read it this time? Oh, sure. Yeah, so we're here in Matthew chapter 7, and here at the end of chapter 7, verses 13 through the end. Uh, so here we go. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who will go in by that way, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits, though. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes, or do they gather figs from thistles? Hmm? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree, it bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear that good fruit. For every tree that does not bear that good fruit, is eventually cut down and is thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Uh, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, not, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine today and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house upon a strong rock. In the rain it descends, and the floods they come, and the winds they blow and beat on that house, but it does not fall, for it is founded on rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain descends and the floods come and the winds blow and beat on that house and it will fall and great will be its fall. And so it was that Jesus had ended his sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who has authority and not as one of the scribes. That's good stuff, isn't it? We can just go, right? <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, these verses, uh, I think they're well known, maybe for different reasons than some of the verses we've read uh, in, in weeks past. But I think what we want to, to bring out this morning is that there is just as much revelation, there's just as much encouragement, and just as much exciting life of Jesus here in, in these verses that sometimes maybe we, we tend to maybe want to jump over and kind of just move to the next part of Jesus' story. Um, I'd like to go back just a couple of weeks here in, in our minds and think about uh, when we first started this little series, we started in chapter 6, um, and we were going through a long set of verses, if you remember, chapter 6. Uh, and if you recall, what I, what I had to say about it 
uh, there's something interesting that Jesus does. Is it's not just a list of things. There's actually a series of things that are grouped together for specific reasons. So we, uh, in chapter 6, you see that there's a talk, Jesus talks about people who pray on the streets all day long and they, they get their reward, right? Uh, and then you see the people who uh, give great gifts, right? Give great gifts in the synagogue for all to see. Well, they have their reward here on earth and not in heaven. Uh, and of course, uh, I think there's one more, isn't there? Um, what's the other one? <laughs> Uh, no, 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 no. Fasting, the fasting thing, right? Uh, the people who fast and, and look mournful and, and make a big show of it. Uh, and the idea was is that these three things together aren't just separate concepts that Jesus is trying to lay his finger on, but they're a whole concept together, uh, that these are three uh, ideas of uh, ritual, ideas of uh, showy uh, religiousness, right? Uh, and Jesus is revealing that the heart of those things is centered on the self, centered on a worldly example of trying to do something in order to get something out of this realm here, where Jesus says the purpose of all those things to begin with is just to connect with the God of the universe, right? Is to uh, store up something deeper and more lasting, right? And so here, I, I, at the end of chapter 7, I, I see the same thing happening. Jesus is creating a series of, of three ideas, right? Uh, we have, and they're all very similar, right? If, if you kind of look at them as a whole, right? You have a narrow gate and a, a narrow gate, or you have a wide gate that leads to destruction, a narrow gate that leads to life. You have... Prophets who speak a word that is death, that is like likened to a ravenous wolf, tear you apart. And there are those who will be like good fruit, right? Uh, those who will bring that life and goodness. Uh, there will be though, and then at the very end, you have a house, right? That stands life, right? It stands up against all the death and darkness and destruction of this world. And there's another that will fall and collapse into it and become part of that destruction. Um, so it's a three-part image. And in all, every image... Uh, it's Jesus doing the same thing he's been doing throughout the whole of his speech here at the Sermon on the Mount. He holds up two worlds, doesn't he? He holds up the world that we all know, we're all familiar with, the one that uh, we are constantly living in, the one where we have a, a common sense of, of what is right and wrong in, right? We, we sort of sense that, oh, you have to, uh, you have to kind of put your, your enemies down in order to rise yourself up, right? You have to uh, believe that might makes right. You have to believe uh, that this this system of the world is the way. It's just the way things work. It's just the way it is, right? And you just have to you have to go with it. You have to go with the flow, right? And Jesus says, but there's another world, a world of of my life that interrupts this other world, that that defies this other world. It doesn't make sense to the world because it it doesn't run on the system of of logical thinking. It doesn't run on the system. Of, of what you feel like you have to do in order to become successful or safe or whatever it is that you're looking for in life. Because uh, it has to do with the image of, of being humble, of, of trusting, right? Of relying on something that isn't seen, but is something that is internal and something that is spiritual and bigger than us. And believing that that is actually what is important, that what is that thing that Jesus himself, his spirit, is what is powerful, is what is the most significant thing on this planet. Uh, and so that's, I think, what the, the big picture is here. 
Um, and so we'll, we'll, we'll just start with it. We'll go through all three of them here for us today. Uh, and let's start with the first one, the, the wide gate and the narrow gate. Um, this one, I think, is, is a great place uh, that Jesus starts on on purpose in this set of three, uh, because what is it that he's been pointing to this whole time? The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God like, right? Uh, that, that's, that's one of his biggest messages, right? The kingdom of God. What is it like? Um, and it's not like what you think it's like is, is part of the, the messaging. And so here we have uh, the image of a, a gate, <laughs> Uh, which would be very familiar to ancient people, right? Uh, and in ancient times, kingdoms and great cities are more or less synonymous, right? We think of kingdoms as being these, uh, you know, borders around a country. In ancient times, it wouldn't have worked so much like that. You have great cities that rule over tracts of land, right? But a kingdom is a place that you enter in through a great gate uh, into a great city. And so we have the image that's uh, very familiar, a wide gate. This is the central gate to a city, the place where... Uh, you'd imagine that the, great, the most amount of people are gathered, right? And he says that. This is where most people enter, right? They go into the city through the most obvious entrance, right? The one that is the most ornate, the one that is set up so that it can bear the most people through it. Come on, bring in your carts, bring in your oxen, bring in your merchandise, right? Set up your shops, buy here, shop here, selling you all the you know, dangling trinkets in your face. Bye, 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 right? You can imagine it. It's busy, it's noisy, it's where... Um, the, the hub of a city is, and it's probably leading up, you know, a great thoroughfare up to the palace of the king, right? That kind of thing. Uh, that's, that's where my, my mind goes when I think of a, of a wide gate into a kingdom, right? Uh, this is the place where, you know, you would want to bring your dignitaries through. The most important, significant uh, events of a city take place there at the wide central gate. Uh, but Jesus seems to think that this wide central gate isn't as significant as you think it is, um, the place where the most important things, the most rich things, the most wealthy things are happening. Uh, he says that's, uh, that's the common way. That's the way we think is the way to our salvation, right? The way to doing what we need to do in this world. Come on, go to the city, make it rich, right? Make it big. Uh, he said, but there's another way, right? Because everybody's streaming into the city and the city is just winding itself down into destruction as as uh, anybody who's ever actually gone to a city, the promise of the bright and beautiful soon kind of uh, goes away if you've been in a city for a long time and you see the dirtiness, you see the, the, the back alleys where there's the huddled poor, right? You see the abuse, right? Especially in an ancient city, you would see lots of uh, darkness and evil and the worst parts of humanity just as much as you've seen the most bright and beautiful and rich, right? It would all be mixed there in this great place. But he says there's another way, <laughs> A secret way, a way that you, uh, the, the road doesn't just lead up to it. You have to kind of search for it a little bit. You have to look for the narrow gate, <laughs> the way where maybe the, the, the people who aren't so significant go through, right? <laughs> Not the great kings and dignitaries of the world, but uh, the meek, the humble, the people who are maybe have to go through a certain gate because maybe they're, they're enslaved, maybe they're of a lower class, right? The narrow gate is the gate of the average man. <laughs> uh, and he says, there is a small gate, a gate that nobody thinks of as important or beautiful or wonderful, but he says, uh, this is the way that leads to life. Um, and we believe uh, here that what Jesus is speaking of is, of course, himself, right? There's a wide gate, but there's me, the narrow gate, a small place in this 
uh, frantic, crazy little world where the kingdom flips upside down and the most important life-giving place is found in that secret dwelling of me. That's so good. And so I think sometimes when we read that, though, we can see, okay, so Jesus is the narrow gate and narrow is the road that leads to Jesus, but I've heard it even said quite often is the narrow, we talk about the narrow way. And I think sometimes we can interpret these scriptures to mean that the Christian walk is like walking on a tightrope where it's very dangerous and, and you can't step off to one side and it, there's a lot of anxiety filled with it because um, it's, it's the narrow walk. It's like you can't deviate in any way and you are, you have to like just walk very straight. So basically like a tightrope is what I imagine. And I think what Jesus is trying to say here, he is inviting us into this way of living. The gate is the way that you get to the kingdom, the way that you come to him. And so once you come through Jesus, once you come to Jesus, he is bigger than anything that anyone in the world could even experience or live in. He is, his heart, his life, his freedom is so much bigger. And so it's like we enter this narrow gate, which is Jesus, but then once we, once we enter into Jesus, there is endless, limitless supply of who he is. It's not this tightrope Christian walk where we have to be filled with fear and anxiety that um, we're not going to do the right thing or, or we're going to fall off. And it's this big pasture that he has for us to roam, to have freedom, to have peace in his abundance and his life. And he is more, we think of the garden, he gave more options of fruit for Adam and Eve to eat than for them not to eat. There's, there's abundance, there's more freedom, there's more goodness in Jesus. And so when we have that perspective that, okay, well, why does the gate, why does the walk it's so much easier for people to not be a Christian and to sin, and there's some truth to that. But when we have that perspective that, okay, it's, it's really, really, really hard to follow Jesus, oftentimes people don't. And oftentimes people, even Christians who are really walking for the Lord, they end up doing the things that we've been talking about things become ritualistic instead of that connection to his heart because it starts to become a little bit easier to just do the things instead of know Jesus if you think that knowing him is like so difficult to do. And so I just want to help shift our perspectives in that way that the life that's talking about here isn't the end destination at the end of the road. But really, we walk through this, this narrow 
seeking a narrow road to find Jesus, and within that realm, we discover that he is so much bigger than we think. Yeah, it's all about perspective. We talking about that last week, right? The eye, the, the eye is the, the lamp of the body. It brings light, and so it's our perspective or the way we see uh, our existence in this world. So if we look at the world and we say, oh, look how easy they have it. They, they sin so, so flippantly, and they, they get away with everything. Oh, man, that's just that's the worst. But when we see it, it's like, well, they're, they're going straight to destruction. They're destroying themselves with with not knowing, and, and how terrible would it be to not know the life of Jesus? I mean, I feel like if we, we think about that, just for a second, how terrifying it is to not know that central life, that goodness of him, uh, to be lost in a world where you have to try to grasp at everything. Uh, man, that's, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, and I did want to mention, too, kind of to give... A little more context to this perspective. Um, I was reading a while ago um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I feel like a lot of us probably know that scripture about trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And I feel like the Lord has been shifting some of how I see trust and trusting him um, especially having a little baby girl, um, like this idea of directing our paths. I felt like he was sharing with my heart um, because sometimes I've seen or I've felt trust to be like, okay, I sit on my hands and I just wait for God to do something and I just, I have to not basically fear, <laughs> putting myself in a box saying like, I can't, I can't do anything because I need to trust in God. I need to trust that he's going to do it. And sometimes we do need to wait on him. Um, but I got this picture of right now, Vela, she's been learning to crawl and get around. And anyone who has been a parent understands that when you kind of cross that barrier of the little baby mobility, then it becomes a very different experience where you're constantly chasing after her. Oh, no, don't touch that. Oh, like grabbing her, pulling her back. And, and if she does get into something and hurts herself, then comforting her. And so I felt like the Lord was giving me this picture that trusting him and him directing our paths isn't me being afraid to explore, to see, to... Um, like live being afraid, but it's rather, it's like a child who has such trust that if she's headed towards something she's not supposed to, that as a parent, I'll, I'll redirect her. I'll direct her path. I'll, I'll put something else in front of her that's better for her. And, um, and if she does hurt herself, then I'm there to comfort her. And so I feel like that just really, ties in with this idea of trusting God and that idea of that freedom, that we don't have to be afraid of even heading in the wrong direction because when we walk with the Lord, he helps to redirect us as a good father does. All right. Let's move on to the next section here. 
this next picture, right, these two worlds. Uh, and I think this one's important for me, too, because uh, the first image, right, is, is of, of a place, right, a kingdom as a gate, as a, as a place that you are. But here, uh, the kingdom, uh, I think, is, is a little more specific. It's Because the kingdom is more than a, a, isn't a physical, tangible thing, is it? It's made of people. <laughs> when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're really talking about uh, a society, a people, a community, right? We're talking about the humans that exist in that kingdom. Uh, and so here, Jesus is, is speaking to that to some degree, and he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves, right? Uh, something to, that's important to keep in mind here, I think, is to rem remember the biblical uh, worldview and to remember this, the ancient setting that we're in. When Jesus is talking about prophets, uh, what is lighting up in people's minds then is maybe a little different than what lights up in our minds today, uh, especially because the English word prophet uh, almost exclusively means today someone who is speaking, uh, is, is predicting future events in some way, shape, or form. Um, but in the ancient setting, uh, a prophet is a lot more than just your average fortune teller. Uh, a prophet... Is, is a historical figure. That's someone that you see throughout the, the Hebrew scriptures uh, and someone that they would be very familiar with um, in the ancient, uh, in the Old Testament. If you read through it, you'll find that um, uh, God speaks to his people through certain individuals, and these individuals are simply prophets. Uh, and they speak of more than just the future. They mostly actually speak of the present. <laughs> Uh, prof uh, prophets mostly spend their time just being the mouthpiece of God. They say, thus says the Lord, right? The Lord is speaking to you today, and this is what he's saying about uh, things. And maybe there are, you know, warnings, uh, but there are also uh, remembrances. You know, there's lots of parts of uh, the prophets that, that reflect on the past and, and reflect on what we learn from that past, right? Uh, and then what that's going to tell us about our future, perhaps. Uh, which is all to say, prophets are just a little bit more than, than, than those fortune-telling, future-seeing people. They are people who just speak from God. They hear from him, and they, they speak those words out. Uh, they are his representatives, you could say, right? Uh, his representatives here on earth. And so, uh, here, he says, there are people who come who are, say they represent me, <laughs> is, is really what he's saying. People who say they say they represent what the kingdom is like. Uh, that's a lot of what the prophets actually came to do is say there is a future time in which the kingdom of God will overcome all the world. And this is what it's going to be like. This is who is going to be bearing forward that. Remember, the, the prophets are of the people who predict so many things about who Jesus was, right? They talk about the son of man, the son of heaven, the person who's going to come and uh, kickstart this, this kingdom, right? What's he going to look like? And he says, so there's going to be people who are going to come and say, well, we represent what the kingdom is like, Right. Uh, and he says that these people will be like, uh, will look like sheep, right? They'll look like sheep on the outside, uh, but in the inside they will be something else, something that could tear you apart, something that represents death, right? A ravenous wolf, the opposite of a sheep. Uh, and I was just thinking about this as I was reflecting on these verses. Uh, a lot of times even when we read that, we, this is like an English saying now, right? This, this verse has been plucked out of the Bible and it's in our uh, common speech, right? A wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Is someone who means you harm, right? Someone who's dangerous, who appears innocent, right? Usually sheep are representative of innocence. Um, 
But as I was thinking about it a little more, I wonder if sheep is more than just uh, an image of innocence here. Because uh, again, in this ancient setting, sheep uh, have an important part to play, don't they? Uh, in the sacrificial system, uh, sheep represent more than innocence. They actually represent holiness. They represent the life of God himself. Um, in the sacrificial system of, of ancient Israel, uh, everybody knew that when you t go to the temple, you bring a unblemished sheep, a lamb, uh, a creature that dies, right, that gives its blood so that its life can be part of you. And it's a representation of what God it does, right? He gives his life, right? The sheep is something that God made. He breathed his life into it, and he is taking that life back instead of yours, right? Uh, as you might owe it, right, in some way, shape, or form. And so here, uh, they say, you know, they represent, it's like they, these people come, they say the kingdom is like this. It's like uh, perhaps even the sacrificial system, right? These reminders of your culture, right? Uh, but inside, they, they have other motives, something that they're trying to take from you. Uh, and I think this image would have been really pivotal for the people at the time, because the, as we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, there is uh, a definite cultural religious system that is overriding these people's worldview, right? It's everywhere they look. They see messages about Yahweh. They see people who say they represent Yahweh, the God of the universe, uh, the religious leaders of the time. They say, this is what he's like. We are the representatives. We follow the law, right? We are the perfect examples of what God is like. And these people were the richest, the most powerful, and spent a lot of their time, you know, degrading others while elevating themselves, right? And so, in some way, I think Jesus is speaking to these type of people. <laughs> He's speaking about these people. They're going to come after me and say, this Jesus guy, he wasn't, he wasn't the thing, right? That's not what God is like. He's, more, he's like the system you know, you're familiar with, the common way, the wide way. Just keep going down the track you've been going. Don't bother uh, changing anything, don't disrupt the system, right? It works, it works great for us, and, it, and you're gonna, you'll be, you'll be fine. You're in your place, I'm in my place, right? Uh, but Jesus says, well, look to their fruits, right? Which, again, another pivotal, pivotal biblical image, right? Fruits, gardens, that's the initial image from the Genesis 1, right? Take a look at it, Genesis 1. The image of a garden is a place where God and man dwell together in perfect unity and harmony. Uh, it's an image of life itself, right? You just think about plucking fruit off a tree and eating it. You, you just, you feel life emanating from that image, from that sense image. Uh, and he uses it here. He says, those people, compare them to trees, compare them to fruit trees. Uh, what life is coming off of them? What life do you know to have come off of them? There will be people who come after me. What life is coming off of them? What life are they giving? Is it my life? Does you feel the, the, just the indwelling of my spirit flowing off of them? If not, then it's no garden at all, is it? It's just a, a dead set of, of place, uh, the kind of place that's, that you would burn away as rubbish and trash, and that is going to rubbish and trash. Uh, it's a system that ultimately fails. It doesn't serve its people because it's not actually representative of the kingdom at all. Yeah, so good. Um, yeah, so with that, with those people, and not even just the people, but just the messages and um, the things that we hear, I think sometimes we can confuse conviction with the pricking. <laughs> like when we hear a message that we feel like is really 
pricking us, I guess, or we hear something that um, we feel like is punishing us in a way, sometimes it can feel like it, that's right. Like that's, that's what conviction is supposed to be because it feels like we're punishing our flesh. It feels like we're um, hearing something that's really hard to hear and, and just grinds into us. And I know for myself, I've oftentimes felt like, okay, that, that pricking or like those thorn bushes or thistles, like that that's what I deserved. And so that's what I need to feel as far as conviction goes. But the reality is conviction is us discovering how hungry, like Abby was saying, how hungry we really were and that there's fruit there and, and we take it and we take it and we just drink it in and we're just refreshed and that life is flowing through us and then that conviction will always empower us, will always refresh us, will always bring us to a place where we're able to walk in the conviction that we're feeling. And so when we're feeling guilt or condemnation, when we hear something, we're, we're grabbing thorn bushes, we're grabbing thistles, we're not grabbing that fruit. And that, for me, is a convicting thing because there's so many times when I have allowed myself to hear something and and allow it to become a thorn or a thistle in my heart instead of that fruit to actually nourish me and actually give me the supernatural grace and energy to do what it is that I'm called to do. And so continuing with that kind of garden imagery, um, I've thought whenever I've read before that idea of the, the good tree bearing good fruit and the bad tree bearing bad fruit, I myself have thought, I don't know, because I sometimes bear pretty bad fruit and I bear good fruit. I bear some maybe okay fruit. And so like I think of it in terms of like what I feel like I've done or the actions that I've um, presented before the Lord and before people. And I feel like what the Lord is really trying to say here is that a tree, a plant, anything that grows is only as good as its gardener. So when you go to a beautiful garden or when you see a beautiful orchard or go somewhere where um, there are things that are growing, you don't look at that tree or you don't look at that plant if it's dying and say, oh, what a stupid plant. Like, how foolish. Like, it needs to just grow fruit. You think, oh, I guess someone hasn't watered it or has neglected, or if you see like a beautiful garden, you were like, you praise the gardener. If you go to a beautiful estate or somewhere where the, they just like, it's so extravagant, you're like, wow, the gardener is really talented and artistic. Well, if we are going to allow ourselves to be planted in the kingdom, 
where the gardener, where Jesus, he's not only the king on the throne, but he's the gardener tending, tending to his garden, then if we allow Jesus to tend to our hearts, to till the ground of our hearts, to, to prune us, then we're going to be a good tree, not because of anything that we're growing ourselves, but because we have a good gardener. And so I think that's just something for us to remember that when we read these, it's not for us to jump into this action mode of how do I make myself a good tree? It's how do I let the gardener just have his way with me? Yeah, and just to go with that, when we were talking about this, uh, going over our notes here, I was reminded of uh, the verses in Romans 8, I thought I'd just read them for you here, uh, Romans 8, 10 through 13, uh, so, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life, the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to this flesh, not to this stuff, right, but to live according to it. But if you live according to the flesh, well, you're just going to die, right? It's all going to waste. It's all going away. Uh, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, right? Uh, and so just to make it clear, these metaphors that Jesus is speaking of, he's always speaking of himself. He's always speaking of connection to himself, the very spirit of God himself, right? Dwelling with us, in us, giving us life. It makes us more than just human, doesn't it? It makes us something uh, elevated, something supernatural. It makes us what, uh, again, referring back to uh, the very first chapter of the Bible calls us the image of God himself, right? Uh, which is what Jesus came to be, came to let us be, right? Uh, to reflect him and be like him and live on this world as more than something than just lives by the rules of this world, right? Uh, that want to crush us and destroy us, right? All these images of destruction and death, right? Uh, he offers another way, doesn't he? And so we, we finish here with perhaps uh, the most... Uh, I know from my growing up, some famous verses, I remember hearing these. Uh, many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons and done many wonders, right? Uh, I remember I've sometimes referred to this just as the Lord, Lord verse. And, and I think people who grow up in the church sort of know what you're talking about, right? And they, you have a little tremor, oh, the Lord, Lord verse, right? <laughs> Especially as a child, sometimes uh, you, you hear and you, oh. Oh, man, I better go back and pray six or seven more times. Make sure Jesus is in there, get in there. No, Lord, Lord, for me, right? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I joke, but there is a, there's a seriousness to that, right? Where we, we, we have the, sometimes a little bit of that fear, right, of what's going on here. Uh, and so what I'll, I'll say today is that I, I believe Jesus is still speaking. I don't think he's, he's switching gears all of a sudden and then speaking about uh, something besides what he's been talking about this whole time, which is the kingdom of God being near at hand, affecting this world, changing the way the world works, right? Offering two ways, right? A way that is common, the way that everybody is already sort of inherently in and understands and thinks is, is the wisdom, right, of this world. 
Uh, and then there's a counterintuitive wisdom, the wisdom of God that is life itself, the spirit of God within us, right? Uh, and so, I mean, he's following right after verses about talking about people who say, well, we represent God. He's like this, right? It's this system you already know, right? Uh, and, you know, they're, they're sheep's and wolves. They're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, right? And so here, you, again, you have people saying, well, Lord, we, we were living out what you were supposed to be doing, what we were supposed to be doing, right? We, we were revealing to the world. This is what God is like, right? Uh, and we see the things they're doing sound good, right? Prophesying, casting out demons, doing many wonders. Uh, and it's really interesting. And I think this is the key to these verses, is he, uh, when he says, I never knew you depart part from me, you who practice lawlessness. Uh, and that word lawlessness, is, I think, is that, that key word here, because if you look back at the things that people said they were doing, that, that doesn't sound like lawlessness. They didn't say, we murdered in your name, God. We stole everything we saw, right? We, we, we lived uh, chaotically and without any rules. Ha, 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 right? Let us in, right? <laughs> right? They, they, they said we were doing these, these good things in your name. We were trying to help people and show the world what you were like. Uh, and he says, I didn't even know you, right? Uh, you practice lawlessness. And I would just go back just for a second to verse 12 of chapter 7, uh, to something that Jesus said uh, when he was talking about how we treat one another, how we think about one another. He says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Uh, what, I'll be very brief here. What Jesus is referring to here is... Uh, the entirety of the Hebrew Bible, the whole Old Testament, right? Uh, when you hear phrases like the law and the prophets or the law and the prophets in the Psalms, uh, he's referring to uh, something that uh, we don't see in our, our modern Bibles, but in ancient Israel, their Bibles were always designed in three scrolls. The first scroll, scroll was called the law or the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible. And then there was a book of the prophets, which was a big section of all the rest of them. And then uh, a third book, which had things like the Psalms and the Proverbs and things like that. And so what Jesus is saying here is that everything, that whole big fat chunk of the back of your Bible, right, that we call the Old Testament, everything is fulfilled in it by A, loving God, knowing me, and then loving others in that place, right? Uh, and he says that, right? It, it, this, is, this, is, this is what it is all about, right? Love God, love others, right? Uh, it's in knowing me and then seeing the world through that lens, right? And so what I think he's, he's saying here is you who practice lawlessness, uh, it's, it's this thing that Jesus has been saying over and over again. You didn't, you've read it, you've, your whole culture is, is in worship of this, these ideas, right, uh, about what it means to look like me. You have a whole religious system that's supposed to represent me. Your richest, most powerful people are people who are my priests, uh, and yet, you, you didn't know what it was all about to begin with. You didn't get the main point, right? Uh, because if you weren't doing to others as they would, uh, you would have others do to you. Um, if you were, if you walk into the wide gate of the city and you see uh, all the the things that go on there, uh, then then you've missed something, haven't you? Uh, and so I think that's just that's the key, right? He's saying there's a system that you have in place that's supposed to represent me but it doesn't, right? Because if you just look at the fruit of it, if you look whether there's life happening, the life of God itself isn't growing here. Instead, uh, the city is, and you imagine the time, the city of Jerusalem was sinking slower and slower into decay. Uh, the overarching enemies were pressing in harder and harder. And within 
30 years of Jesus's death, the city would be totally obliterated and the people would be scattered to the winds. Uh, Jesus knew what he was talking about here. He and he, his declaration was it wasn't about this stuff. It wasn't about uh, trying to follow a set of rules that you think represent me. It's about me in itself, right? That's what it was always about from the beginning to now. Um, and so he says, you know, the very thing, uh, I think what he's referring to is the fall of Jerusalem, the fall of the kingdom of Israel, which wasn't the, didn't turn out to be the kingdom of God. They thought they were. They thought they already were the kingdom of God, <laughs> uh, but they weren't. They were just kingdom, a kingdom of themselves, living for themselves. Uh, they didn't even know their God when they met him, right? Um, and so the big lesson, I think, here, <laughs> um, to maybe finish us off here, uh, Jesus says, listen, right? Uh, he says, there'll be people who will speak who say, well, we did all these things in your name, right? We, we spoke, we told everybody, right? Uh, but he says, you who know me, you who listen to me, right? Uh, will be those like our wise men who have a foundation, right? There's something missing when we, uh, the both people at the very last picture, they both built a good house, right? There was something strong and beautiful and good. Uh, but just like in chapter six, when he talked about uh, there are people who do things in this world in worship of me, but they get the reward for the here and now, right? They're living for the here and now. He says, but there are also people who have a foundation, something deeper than just the stuff that they've built it on top, but a foundation of myself, a foundation of my spirit that is like rock, he says. It's like a bedrock that can stand against all things. Uh, and so this is the, the counterintuitive nature of the Spirit, where he says, uh, knowing me is stronger than anything else in this world, right? Knowing me uh, will stand against the worst death and just darkness and destruction you can imagine, right? Uh, and I think we find that to be true, because the kingdom that he was speaking to at the time, it ended. The people, they faded into history. But he himself, right, what he stood for, his word, his gospel, it spread and it grew and it thrived, not because of what, just because people made it do it, but because the life that they received from it was so good and strong and real. Yeah. So then to end this series and to kind of even come back to this idea, we first talked about the secret place. And that's what Jesus is coming back to here, is that, that knowing him. And I believe that when he said that, there was a lot of sadness to what he was saying. Like, I can sometimes read it as like, get away from me. Like, you know, this, this tone. But I believe that there's a lot of sadness to that. And a lot of sadness to the people discovering that it wasn't enough. It wasn't the right thing. It wasn't all of the right things weren't the right thing without the main thing. <laughs> and so that just brings us to this invitation, this invitation. And I know we talk about it, and it, it seems... So simple, but really that relationship with Jesus, that freedom in him can look so abundant and can look so full of life. 
And that doesn't mean that our life isn't messy. That doesn't mean that there aren't hurdles or challenges or struggles or pruning. But what it means is that we are in him and he is in us. And that's going to be what really fulfills the will, as he says, the will of the Father, is that communion and oneness. And so I just pray, Lord, I just thank you so much for the opportunity, every opportunity you give us, every breath that we have is an opportunity to connect to you. This very life that we're living is an opportunity to have relationship with you. And we don't have to work at it or try or try to even create relationship with you into a law or something, a checklist to do. But Lord, just as a child, trust in their parents. We can trust in you. We can live this life looking at you for your smile of approval, Lord, as we walk and grow and live and that we can connect in every way, every day and every moment, Lord. And we just thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we, if you'd like prayer, you can come up afterwards. And also just a reminder, there is a fellowship meal. Um, so please join us in connection to each other as we connect to Jesus. <laughs>